welcome to a special podcast series on intergenerational wealth. I am Amelia Hamilton, Audience Development Executive at CityWire, and I will be your host for the next three episodes, where together with some knowledgeable guests, I will be having an in-depth look at what the future holds for businesses hoping to engage the next generation. We start our first episode with an overview, focusing on the five pillars of intergenerational wealth and how to play the intergenerational wealth game. To help unpack this, I am lucky to be joined by Vince Smith-Hughes, Director of Specialist Business Support at PRU, and Hannah Edwards, Managing Director of EVA Capital Management. Welcome to both of you. So intergenerational wealth is a huge topic with a lot of nuance. So I think, Vince, maybe a good place to start would be with you. Uh, Do you want to kick us off by briefly introducing what the five pillars of intergenerational wealth are? Yeah, so... uh... I think these are the five pillars, and and when I say pillars, probably important just to clarify what I'm talking about here. They, these, I think, are the conversation starters that uh, advisors might want to start sort of broaching with their clients. And you know, this isn't getting into detailed IHT planning or estate planning or who's controlling the funds or who's got access to them. It really is just the point of bringing up the subject of some things that people really have got to do. So, uh, as you said, I've got a list of five, Amelia, and quite simply, I think they're making a will, first and foremost, Uh, dealing with any expression of wish forms on pension schemes, Uh, dealing with lasting power of attorney or power of attorneys or wherever you're based, Uh, gifting and whether that's something that people want to get into, Uh, and also what I term, lastly, um, preparing and sort of making sure all paperwork is in order. And I'm I'm sure we'll get into uh, some more detail on those things as we go along, Amelia. And and Hannah, I guess to, to bring you into this conversation, in terms of those five pillars, which would you think personally is perhaps the most important to look at first? Well, I think the will has to be the start of a 10 because that forms the framework of how you're going to leave your estate to next generation. Um, and I still find it remarkable, given the average value of, of my sorts of clients, how many people still have got to their 40s or their 50s and haven't yet got a valid will. And I think it's fair to say that if you own your home with a spouse and joint tenants and you've got joint bank accounts and, as Vince touched on, you've got up-to-date expression of wishes with pensions, people perhaps think, oh, I probably can put that to the bottom of the list of, of things to do in terms of my life admin. But actually, so many of us are going to get divorced. One in two of us will. So many of us will come later in life where we may have different wishes to our partner And therefore, the only way to set that tone and write that script is by effecting a will. And certainly, I'm sure this will be teased out later on as we go forward. But for me, the most important starting point when I frame these conversations with clients is that the will that may be right now in 2022 will probably not be the right will for you and your wishes fast forward five years. So I see this as something that we don't just dust off every decade actually it's part and and a a core part of us adding value as intermediaries in that review process with clients. I guess just from each of your perspective what has been the main difference now we've got a little bit of distance from full lockdown and the the panic of it we've we've moved on slightly but it's still kind of a hangover from from what's been happening and now we've got inflation kind of coming into it as well what have been the major shifts in conversations you've been having with your respective people that you deal with um, compared to before all of all of this has happened? Um, I suppose I've found it a subtle 
change in the conversation towards more of an openness to gifting because a lot of my clients are caught by being over certain thresholds where they might lose some of their inheritance tax allowances. But as much as you can encourage gifting with a warm hand, as I always position it, clients have often wanted to just push that further down the line for a, a conversation at a later date. And certainly um, I'm seeing more of an openness to embarking on that phase of planning, which is great because really when clients have either just sold a business or they've just retired or they're certainly still in good health and in their probably 60s, it's a great time, great time sorry, to start that seven-year piece of planning and then keep reviewing it. So I think that's probably been the slight openness that I've seen and then really just that point that I made earlier, which is people are more serious about let's get our wills in place if they're not already. I'd agree with what Hannah said there. I mean, obviously, um, I, I don't speak to clients directly, but uh, speak to a lot of advisors who, who do. And they are definitely echoing Hannah's thoughts there, which is a, a lot of people sort of suddenly realise, actually, I really need to, to get my house in order. Uh, I think a lot of the conversations during COVID, certainly from um, what I'm, I'm led to believe by advisors, was around, well, what's going on with the stock market, what's going on with my income, sort of some very much here and now sort of factors. And yes, you're right, Amelia, we, we obviously have got uh, inflation back with a real vengeance. But I think people have taken now, they're drawing breath a bit and starting to think about longer term planning. We're certainly getting an enormous amount of queries in uh, to our technical helpline around things like gifting, inheritance tax planning, intergenerational planning generally. So that sort of backs up, I think. And I guess even in the most ideal of scenarios where you you have a family that gets on very well and you perhaps parents that are still together and their children a dream kind of scenario there's still going to be differences in priorities of these generations so we can see that uh you know what um an older client might want to put their wealth into might be different to one that's 30 40 years younger there might be a uh, they want they have different needs for this modern world have you found that to be a, a stumbling block something that you've had to to try and work out how to retain these new clients with different priorities than the ones that, that you have and how does that work in terms of intergenerational planning and wealth and how can you reach a resolution even in a situation where they get on but just by nature of their ages, there's different needs. That's a really interesting question and, and one that you could unpack in different ways. Uh, so often you'll find that parents or grandparents have a real appetite to mitigate inheritance tax, but the way in which they would like to achieve that mitigation might be contrary to what the beneficiary wants. So i.e. young person would like a lump of cash to help them probably upsize on their property but grandparent or parent thinks, well, we did that ourselves, so we want you to do that, but we are much more inclined to put some money in your pension or put money ahead for your, for your children, etc. So that's just a difficult conversation which sometimes you have to, to, to navigate through. And of course, because you see this sharp decline in final salary pensions, those secure defined benefit income streams, 
and all of us are going to be by you know the stats on it um, come something like 2030 hardly any of us are going to be actually in receipt of um, uh, defined benefit and, and active memberships of those schemes so I can I can see it from both sides that's where things can sometimes become um, need to be delicately handled um, but at the same time the person affecting the gift or the settler of somebody into the trust is the person in the driving seat um, and at the same time, uh, just trying to think of this in a well-rounded manner, if you've got clients who maybe don't have people to leave their estate to, or people who do but take the view, no, they've had their starter um, for 10, uh, the taxman can have what they're due, then again, for me, there's this piece around, well, if you leave 10% of your estate to charity, that's going to reduce your inheritance tax bill. And actually, if you are not passionate about leaving lots of money to the next generation, then you could think about a much more meaningful charitable legacy. And that's certainly something which we table in every discussion about estate planning, which um, is often something that needs to settle for maybe a few years with clients. But absolutely, as they're older, I see charitable legacies increasing more and more. And of course, that was boosted by the um, improvement from 40% inheritance tax to 36% um, if you leave more than 10% of your estate to charity. So they're the sorts of things that you can sort of capture in the, in the, in the conversation. And so looking at the next generation of, of clients, do you think uh, advisors just need to be very patient in curating a client base of, of younger clients do you think that's a, a virtue that needs to be um i think patience pa patience is always a, a virtue um I, I think it's dangerous grounds for advisors though if they don't start addressing it um clearly uh, and hannah's gone through a, you know a number of examples there you know you're going to put clients in a much better position sort of by planning uh, as and when you can do um I think there's a danger in this for the advisor, though, if like they, they don't start addressing their next generation, you know, they run the risk of, of losing the family assets. And that's certainly not something they want to do. And, you know, ultimately, when advisors come to, to sell their business, uh, it's often the case now that people who are looking to purchase advisor businesses are saying, well, where's your plan in place for the next generation? Because we need to retain those assets under management. So, you know, although clearly there's some very good reasons why the client needs to start doing this for the client purposes there's also some selfish if you like reasons why advisors also need to start addressing it as well it's you know very good business practice to start doing this as soon as they can and uh, you know if they're some clients will not want people to engage with the next generation but i think it is a case of you know just reminding them of all the things that will happen if that doesn't if that plan doesn't take place uh, and you know where do you start you go back to the basics and start pointing out look wills expression of wish forms etc etc then you can get start into the the more uh, difficult areas of planning as you go along i think so looking forwards then the next um episodes in our series is firstly going to look at gifting and then more widely looking at uh, looking to the future in terms of the future where do you both see the future of advice going I often think if you look across the waters whether you look at Australia or the states where wealth planners are very very well respected within that professional community and individuals will commit large amounts of their disposable income on their financial planners to pay for ongoing strategic advice and I think we have come a long way here in the UK but I think we also have further to go 
And the way in which we're doing that is the upskilling, is the increasing professional qualifications that we're all um, having to commit to. Um, it's also being mindful that on the back of the FCA, this is all about delivering value for clients and value for money. Uh, the sort of transparency that we have to um, very much adhere to from that sort of code of ethics. So for me, um, the sort of future advice is all about advice, not product. It's all about um, the framework of advice. It's all about continuing that conversation um, rather than perhaps that more traditional model, which was a client had a need that need was a pension or that need was some tax efficient planning and actually you have to really rip up that old that old um, approach that that might have been taken when that was appropriate um, and really want to look at it much more holistically much more comprehensively uh, and I think as we all live longer as we all hopefully want to be able to plan and take our planning more seriously um, that is a massive opportunity for our profession. Yeah, and and Vince, where where do you see the future going? Well, well, I think we've we've been on a bit of a, a journey um, since RDR to to sort of turn financial advice into a profession, uh, and I think we're well along with that journey now. But yeah, I, I totally agree with what Hannah said. That for me, it's all about financial planning uh, and being able to help people. I mean, if you think about all the things we've talked about on this uh, on this chat, is really. It's all quite complicated, actually, and there's not a chance, I think, of the average layperson being able to understand all of that. So financial planners are in a, an absolutely ideal place to really help people with that. And, you know, let's hope, I mean, we, we often talk about the advice gap in this country, and it's far too wide. There's just not enough people getting advice. Um, and all the surveys say that when you do get advice, you end up in, guess what, a financially better off position. So... Maybe if we can really get this intergenerational message right and, you know, we can use technology to help deliver advice to, to clients more cost effectively, perhaps we can actually start to shrink that advice gap uh, and really start making an impact with more people getting advice across the board. And, yeah, I, I agree. It, it is all for me all around the, the financial planning rather than the investment management side. Um you know, that's where I think people really appreciate the value. I mean, of course, advisors will, will help with the investment management side, but there's so many things that can put people in a much better financial position. Uh, and certainly if you're planning as a family, put them in a much better financial position that advisors can help with. Brilliant. Well, that is it for episode one of the series. Join us next time where we will be exploring all things gifting. But for now, I'd like to say thank you to my guests, Vince and Hannah, and thank you to you for listening.